So the term storytelling is very trendy and it's been adopted by marketers and brand strategists. But I mean, storytelling has been around since the dawn of time. It's the way humans communicate. So think about if you're going to go have a beer with your buddy or think about when you get home from work and you're talking to your partner or you're talking to your kids. That's how you communicate. You communicate in stories and that's how humans process information and and actually remember information. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. It's me, your host, Justin. And uh, on today's episode, I've got Julia Campbell. Julia is uh, a storytelling and nonprofit social media consultant. Uh, So if you aren't familiar with Julia, totally encourage you to check her out. JCSocialMarketing.com is her website. On this episode, we, we talk about some of the trends that we anticipate as we move from 2018 into 2019, some of the hurdles that we see on the horizon. And I love the way that Julia thinks through some of the hurdles. So you're going to have to plow through this episode so that you can, uh, you can check that out. Um, before we cut to the episode, just a few quick reminders. want to make sure that uh, you know that you can subscribe to this and every episode is a part of the first season of Group Thinkers. You can do that on whatever app that you're listening to us now. So maybe that's through Apple, maybe that's through Spotify or, or Stitcher or SoundCloud, whatever it is, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also comment on the episodes there and continue the conversation with us. So much of our conversation takes place on Twitter. We're at Group Thinkers on Twitter and don't forget to throw RKD a follow as well. So uh, here you go with your look into 2019. Here's Julia Campbell on Group Thinkers. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. Uh, it's Justin here, and I am super excited to be visiting with Julia Campbell today. Julia, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. Of course. So we are at the very end of 2018, whenever we're recording this, and we're going to talk today about different trends and topics and things that you've uh, heard from nonprofits and the many mm-hmm. nonprofits that you work with, and also things to look forward to. Um, so, looking forward to our chat. I just want to start with a commonplace that we, you know, in group thinkers, we bring together people that are curating and stewarding innovative work in nonprofits, of which you qualify. Um, but I, I want to just hear your journey. How in the world did you end up in the nonprofit marketing space? Well, I have always been interested in social justice work and social change work. In the 90s, I worked on the Clinton-Gore campaign. I was in high school. I've always been a gigantic advocate for LGBTQ rights, for civil rights. So it was just kind of a natural extension of my passions that I had in high school and college. And then I went into the Peace Corps in 2000, 2002. And I served in Senegal, West Africa. And I worked with a lot of NGOs when I was there and saw their work pretty up close and 
thought, this is something that I want to do. I don't really know the track or the vertical or the specific cause that I want to take on. Then the, na- the next natural extension for me was development director, of course, because I have a communications background. I study journalism. I actually have a master's in public administration and I wanted to be an executive director way back in the day, which I mean, I love executive directors. I think they do amazing work, but it is not for me now. I think about it. I think, oh my gosh, what a thankless but amazing job. So to the executive directors out there, you do awesome work. So I started out my nonprofit career as a development and marketing director, and I worked for really small organizations, really small community-based, like a domestic violence shelter. I worked for an early education advocacy program all the way up to doing fundraising for Boston University and um, Cambridge College. So that's really how I got my, my start in the sector itself. You know, what I love about your experience, Julia, is that there's this root of involvement and root of being active and likely Mm -hmm. a root of storytelling from your experience uh, in the Peace Corps that then transferred immediately into the work that you were doing as a storyteller which is really exactly. what a, a development director is. You're telling the story of the organization that you're representing. Right. So the term storytelling is very trendy and it's been adopted by marketers and brand strategists. But I mean, storytelling has been around since the dawn of time. It's the way humans communicate. So think about if you're going to go have a beer with your buddy or think about when you get home from work and you're talking to your partner or you're talking to your kids, that's how you communicate. You communicate in stories and that's how humans process information and and actually remember information. And in the Peace Corps, when I was in Senegal, we took a training because the people that we were working with when I was in the rural village, first of all, did not speak English or French. I had to learn the language of Pular which is a native dialect where I was. But also that's how people communicated what were through stories. And it was interesting to me because I was all about facts and data and this is how many people die of malaria and this is what you need to do. And this is how you prevent HIV and this is how you prevent um, maternal deaths. But me going in as this like 22-year-old American girl talking to these people, these communities of people, especially women, many of whom had lost a child either in childbirth or lost a child from malaria or malnutrition, just communicating statistics and academic things that I knew was never going to work. So what we, what we decided to do is train a group of people that could be storytellers that could convey this information, but in the form of a story. So it's interesting that years before I ever wrote my book or ever did, you know, speaking on the topic that I I kind of cut my teeth on storytelling when I was, when I was in the Peace Corps years ago. So it is interesting. That's, that's fascinating. And like you said, it's before we marketers grabbed hold of that phrase to use yes. it as uh, a way that we communicate. You mentioned your book, Storytelling in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits, which people can check out uh, at your website, jcsocialmarketing.com. 
Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the storytelling side, let's, let's just hang out there for just a second. How, how does that translate into marketing? Because you do have to balance the data and the numbers. Yes. I think that the, well, first of all, let's talk about the challenges. So I think that the challenge is that people hear the word storytelling the same way they heard the word social media back in, you know, 2006. And they think it's a silver bullet. They think it's not going to require any work. They think that they can just sort of capture one story and it's going to be the be all end all. It's going to define their organization and the money is just going to roll in. So I understand that nonprofits are always looking for shortcuts and silver bullets and easy ways to do things. But unfortunately, there really is not an easy way. There's not an easy way to do it. It's simple. The principles of effective storytelling are simple, but the actual work is not easy. You have to really be authentic. And now it's not even enough to tell a story because everyone has gotten on board. And if you're on social media, if you, if you get emails, if you see nonprofit websites, a lot of organizations are already leveraging their best stories either to get donations or to raise awareness or to you know, create community. So you even have to take it one step further now and tell sort of unexpected narratives, feature characters that are you know, not the typical characters. You can't rely on what I call or what we all call the hero's journey. You can't rely on client X came to our organization. We helped client X. Now client X is great. That's not working anymore. We have to be more interesting, be more creative. The other thing I'm seeing is that organizations really need to embrace visual storytelling through video especially, but certainly through some kind of photography, some kind of visual element that they can add to their storytelling. So we are not even in the age of storytelling anymore. I honestly think that was like five years ago. I think now we are beyond that. We're in visual storytelling, digital storytelling, interactive storytelling with virtual reality and augmented reality with artificial intelligence, we are almost in a post-storytelling age. And now authenticity and capturing attention and being on the forefront of these technologies is just as important as having a great story. It can be a challenging time when Mm -hmm. you try to balance those things. So you do have this principle of storytelling, which is incredibly important. You also have the convergence of all of these channels coming together and consumers, because of adoption of technology and many other reasons, losing attention. So there's a space where visual just jumps out, even in the last, you know, handful of months where I've seen uh, the continued rise of the use of video for nonprofits, but the text on screen. And text yes. on screen being this now, this, this trend that you have to leverage so that people can stop their swiping and mm-hmm. scrolling to just pay attention for, you know, a brief moment so that you can capture and engage and try and communicate whatever story it is that you are telling. Right. I mean, it's mandatory now that you have subtitles on your videos. We have to. So I don't know why we all thought it wasn't okay to do that because we are a sector that promotes inclusivity 
and accessibility for everyone, but it is completely mandatory now. Not only from an accessibility standpoint, you want to make sure that your videos can be consumed by people that are hearing impaired. You also want to make sure that they are consumed by people the 85% of people that watch social media video with the sound off. Right. So there's a marketing perspective, but then there's also the social justice perspective, which I do think nonprofits really need to take responsibility for. But I, there are so many apps out there. There are so many tools out there. Facebook has a free video captioning tool that you can use. Certainly you have to edit it to make sure it's accurate. Right. But there's, there's just no excuse for you know kind of doing things in the old way yeah. because we're going, we're going to get left behind. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's kind of, that's really how I feel, but I think video, if we are still talking about video in 2018, you needed to be doing video yesterday. Yes. You can still, if you're not doing it, don't freak out. You can still start a plan, start a strategy, but you have to be leveraging the power of video in 2019. I don't care if it's with your smartphone and you're holding it. I don't care if it's your desktop, your laptop, you hire a videographer, but you have to be prepared to leverage the power of video. That's the most engaged with content and it's the most effective type of storytelling content, especially for digital fundraising. Well, and I may not be the target audience for every nonprofit, but I can tell you, I would prefer to see things that look like they are someone's smartphone. I would prefer to see yes. things where people look like they uh, are sitting down with and showing that kind of raw element, which yes. people come to expect from nonprofits. They don't need polish associated with nonprofits. So you mentioned yes. a, a handful of things that you might look into 2019 and say, these are the, the trends. Um, you spend quite a bit of time uh, with organizations recently helping them prepare for year end. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we're all in the throes of it right now as we're having this conversation, mm -hmm. but January is, is right around the corner. It's days away. And that means 2019. And for many people that means new revenue goals or new KPIs and kind of a reset. Uh, so Julia, what do you see as the trends for digital marketing and fundraising in 2019? I think the number one trend is to be more human. So people are craving content from humans. And what you just said, Justin, is so interesting because Instagram did a study and they found that the majority of people would rather interact with content that's created by amateurs, quote unquote amateurs, rather than celebrities or big brands. So people don't necessarily want to see that polished content. Now, we can talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram stories. She's the incoming freshman congresswoman from the Bronx. And if you don't follow her on Instagram, I don't care what your politics are, you need to follow her because she's lifting the veil on what's going on behind the scenes in terms of congressional orientation. She's talking politics. She's making mac and cheese in her kitchen on a Friday and answering questions about budgeting and infrastructure and the Green Deal and all this other stuff. I think it's such a great case study for organizations because people are craving that human content that removes us from the ivory tower, that puts a face to a brand 
we don't want to interact with logos anymore. Right. We don't want to interact with organizations anymore. We really need to be looking at social media as a way to build community around a cause rather than just sharing promotional messages. And I think she is one of the best examples that I've seen recently. So that's, that's my number one trend is be more human, lift the veil, go behind the scenes, share that amateur content, and don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable. Why, why do you think we struggle in being more human? Is it that as- Oh, we're worried about alienating people. Yeah. Is it, is it fear? Oh, absolutely. 100%. It's fear of failure, fear of doing it wrong, which there really is no doing it wrong, fear of alienating anyone because nonprofits don't want to be um, provocative. We don't want to be offending anyone. We don't want to be overstepping our bounds. We want to put our heads down and do the work and we just expect people to open their checkbooks and take out their credit cards and support us. And that may be the way things used to happen, but especially with millennials and their spending power now. Mm -hmm. And we're not even talking about millennials anymore. We're talking about Gen Z. We're talking about younger people, 18 to 24. They don't, that's not the way they do things. Like they want to know what's going on behind the scenes. They want to feel a personal connection with the charity. You know, my mom still gives to the charities that she's always given to. I'm on the fence, right? I give to charities that I've given to and that I feel a connection with, but then I do like these new innovative nonprofits that are showing me the behind the scenes that are bringing me into the kitchen, that are making me feel like I'm part of a community and part of a movement. And I just feel like I know that nonprofits have a lot of fear around this because they're, I just think they're worried about stepping on even one person's toes. But if you're not, I don't know who said this, maybe it was Jeff Bezos. I have to look it up. Jeff Bezos. If you're not offending people, then you're boring. Like if you're not offending one person, right, then you are literally not reaching anybody. So I'm not saying let's just go out and be provocative and share a bunch of information that's going to offend people. But your work is for a certain group of people. And I actually just gave a storytelling workshop yesterday and I was trying to explain that you have, you're talking to three audiences. You're talking to your tribe, the people that know you and love you and believe in what you do and they're on board and they get it. You're talking to the people that are potentially on board that might want to know a little bit more in order to be brought on board. And the third group of people, people that are the non-believers that will never get it and will never support you because it's not for them. So don't worry about that third group of people. Create your content and your digital marketing strategies and tell your stories for the other two audiences, the group that loves you and the group that just wants to know a little bit more about you. And I think nonprofits want to reach everybody and that's not the way to build a community online. You know, I think that uh, in addition to the fear aspect that you mentioned, nonprofits have for so long chased our commercial uh, siblings yeah. and, and aspired to 
well, look at how this brand does this. Look at how this brand does this. And there is tremendous amount of value in nonprofit brand work. But mm-hmm. that being more human at times means, you know, let's not chase the commercial sector. Let's live in the purpose that we have and tell our stories about the work that we do in our very raw, very human way. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, as we said earlier, necessarily have to have as much polish. So in addition to being mm-hmm. more human, what, what else do you see as a trend for us going into 2019? Well, it's interesting because we're talking about being more human, but now what I want to talk about is artificial intelligence and chatbots and things like the internet of things, Alexa, Google Home, Cortana, those kinds of things. Right. So nonprofits, whether or not you think it's something you can leverage, you need to get on board and you actually need to understand what's going on. So I don't claim to be an expert on AI and chatbots. I'm going to leave that to Beth Cantor and Allison Fine, um, who they've written op-eds. They're writing a book all about AI chatbots for nonprofits, how to be more human in the age of AI. But a lot of organizations are at least using chatbots to provide you know, ease of access to resources and information. So if you go to the Facebook page, there might be a bot that says, hi, how can I help you? It's so easy to set up. I know that Susan G. Komen, Florida has implemented a chatbot for their 2019 Race for the Cure. And the purpose is that they have one person managing all of their social media and all of their digital channels. And the chatbot is there to just answer those sort of frequently asked questions, maybe direct people to other resources. So the whole point for us is we need to at least begin to understand what a chatbot is and how it works, even if we don't have a plan to leverage it for our organization. Because like I said, the early adopters, they're already there. They are already using this technology on their websites, on their social media. So small nonprofits, we just need to at least start to understand what all of this technology is and how it works. Yeah, there's some really interesting case studies and examples of skills. Uh, and that's yes. an Alexa-specific term, but skills that nonprofits have leveraged uh, through smart speakers and with, what, 75 uh, million devices mm-hmm. in market, there, uh, there is no doubt that that's a resource that we can tap into and scale in the next year. Exactly. The Audubon Society has a skill around bird calls. And I don't have Alexa, I have Google Home. But to me, it's all part of the bigger picture around creating valuable stuff for your audience. So for so long, nonprofits have been told, okay, social media channels are billboards, emails are billboards, they're one-way conversation, we're just going to promote We're not going to actually create anything that's of value. Maybe we'll tell a story here and there. But what the Audubon Society is doing is they're responding to their audience and their community. Guess what? I'm not into bird calls. You know, that's not for me. I'm not part of that. I I think it's actually really cool. But they're building something for their tribe, for their community that then someone would say, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to spread the word to five other people that I know are into bird calls. So the only way to get attention nowadays, the only 
true, authentic way to really spread your ideas and spread your cause to new people is to get those people that are passionate evangelists, like bird call people are super passionate about bird calls and going on bird watches and getting them, like creating awesome stuff for them that they can then say, hey, everybody in my bird watching Facebook group, Alex, there's an Alexa skill around this. So, it, you know, it, there, it's a two-pronged thing where the Audubon Society, you know, obviously is creating this content because they want to be responsive to their donors and their community, but they're bringing new people in because it's so new and innovative and interesting. Right, right. And a great way just to engage, like you said earlier, your tribe or those yes. that are potentially on board and kind of a fun party trick, right? So. Yep. Uh, so yep. thinking about that creatively. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by the RKD Group blog. You might be listening on a mobile device right now, and if so, you can go ahead and open up a browser window and visit rkdgroup.com slash blog. When you get there, you're going to find all sorts of resources tackling issues that are current in the nonprofit marketing space. There's channel-specific resources focused on direct mail, digital, multi-channel, and even omni-channel. There's also hot topics like GDPR, mid-level, digital media, look-back windows, and more. It's all over at rkdgroup.com slash blog. And now, back to group thinkers. Uh, what about exactly. on the flip side, Julia? So uh, these are two trends that, and there are so many more, but... Mm -hmm. more being more humid and chatbots uh, or the use of AI and obviously all of the elements of marketing automation that are now available to us at an affordable scale for nonprofits. What about the hurdles? Yeah. New, new year brings new challenges with it. What do you see as uh, some of the major hurdles facing nonprofits going into this next year? I see the number one hurdle being an unwillingness to actually invest in any kind of technology that would make your life easier. So a CRM or a marketing platform or an email platform, but also spreading yourself too thin on too many channels. A lot of what I do, I call it social media therapy, where I have to talk to a nonprofit who is on 10 channels, has an email list, has a website, has a blog, is treading water, really unable to manage all of those things because they only have one person, maybe not even a full-time person. So focusing on the channels and the platforms that you like, that you are able to manage, but also that will connect you to your audience and help you achieve your goals. So we really need to stop saying, oh, it's free. I'll just sign up for it. It's a new platform. It's a shiny new thing. And we need to be much more strategic and pull back even. And it's okay to break up with social media channels if they're not working. I think it's okay. I'd rather have you break up with them than simply automate all of your content because that does not work. Yeah, I totally agree. And a uh, drum that we constantly beat is having a data strategy, right? And yep. to your point, we get, um, we get, just our attention goes to these yes. shiny and free tools and then our 
affection builds up for them, but we don't have the time to invest in learning how to use them or have a strategy behind them. So everything right. starts to get watered down by forming yes. a data strategy at the beginning of your fiscal year or the beginning of a campaign, whatever it is, and understanding, okay, what tools are we going to use? What data are we going to capture? Where are we going to store that data? How do we ensure the security behind that data? Yep. That helps us manage the investments so that it's smart investments and appropriate investments and that you can actually invest because you're yep. thinking critically on what yep. you need and how to accomplish it. Yes? Yes. So, so I actually have a really great example. So I just talked to um, a woman named Abigail. She works for an organization called Second Story and their youth services and homeless shelter for youth. And she's a millennial. And she and I talked because her organization is very tiny. She is a one woman department and she started a podcast. Okay. So she started a podcast for her organization because she wanted to share stories and she wanted a better platform than a blog. She was getting disillusioned with social media. She felt like her email open rates weren't where they should be. And the brilliance of this is that she started from her goal. Her goal was we want more people in the community to hear about us. We want younger people to hear about us and we want them to hear our stories. Mm. So she started this podcast and she says it's been a lot of work, but it's only cost her about a hundred dollars because she bought a microphone and then bought some kind of mixer. Right. And it's just, it's an, un, it's an amazing story. So she, what she found was people are not really willing to send an email to their networks and say, hey, this is a really cool charity. Uh, check this out. But they are willing to say, hey, this is a really cool podcast. Check this out. So she was thinking about how she consumes information and how she and her friends like to consume content and the types of things they talk about amongst each other. Because she said, you know, I just don't understand why younger people aren't involved. I don't understand why more people haven't heard of us. I don't know why we can't get our stories out. And for her, the answer was podcast. I don't know if the same answer says the same answer for every organization, but I loved how strategic she was with it. Mm -hmm. She didn't simply say, oh, podcast, well, I got to start one. Or, oh, I got to have to start a Facebook group or I've got to be on Twitter. Or, I've got to start a blog. She thought for about six months strategically how to reach this particular audience that she wanted to reach. And while it doesn't seem like the most low-hanging fruit, it's certainly the most effective. And then she actually pulled back on some of the other social media work she was doing to work on the podcast, which now uh, they're almost in their second season and it's been incredibly popular. And the other thing to know is that she's only talking to her audience. They're a local organization. She doesn't think this is going to be like number one on iTunes. She's talking to her audience, creating digital content for her specific community and making it easy for them to then spread the word. I think that's the, that's where we get disjointed that's kind of the disconnect with organizations. It's we think, oh, we just are going to share a bunch of stuff and then everyone else is going to share it. You really have to think strategically about what your community wants and make it incredibly easy and fun for them to share it. One of the organizations that, uh, that 
you know, I get to work with health and disease organization and the chief development officer, she consistently will refer back to the idea that, you know, Justin, I've got $1 and where's the best place for me to use that $1? And we'll challenge our team on where she should use that single $1. And, Mm. you know, you're, perspective on one of the major challenges of the unwillingness to invest. Sometimes it's because we only have the $1. Sometimes it's because we have the $1 and we have a dozen needs and we don't know which need is the best one. What guidance would you give uh, a nonprofit like that on how to spread that investment or how to prioritize their investments? Well, I think if you have $1, get off social media and start calling some donors. That's just me. And I, when I talk to my clients, a lot of times they'll call me and they'll say, Hey, I want to run a digital fundraising campaign. I want to raise $50,000. Can you help me? And Oh, by the way, we have no staff and we're not going to be able to create any videos or graphics. And we have email software from 2005 and our board is, you know, the list of reasons, basically why they're going to fail. So for me, I say, you know, prioritize your organizational goals. What are you trying to accomplish as an organization in the next year? So what would you do if you couldn't fail? And then look at what a success look like for you and then match the strategies to the goals. Like if one of your goals is to raise awareness in your community in 2019, then you have to think about, okay, how can we best do that? Maybe we should get, you know, we should hire a PR firm. Maybe we should focus on calling reporters. Maybe we should run a marketing campaign. But then of course you're going to get all these ideas and pretty soon realize a lot of these activities are, you know, might not be feasible, but I do think the brainstorming activity works really well because I do that for 2019 and I end up having all these goals. And then I think, oh, the actual work required to get to these goals is probably not feasible. So that helps me prioritize, but without knowing anything about the organization and their audience and what they're trying to accomplish, it's, it's really hard for me to tell them where to spend that money. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's this thread there of prioritizing your risk and your reward, right? And Mm -hmm. by mitigating the risk of the shiny object and investing resources that are defined by time or by people or a cash outlay, evaluating that through a risk lens and what the return will be. It can oftentimes be a North star for us on where to invest that dollar. In addition to unwillingness to invest, what, what are the hurdles do you see on the horizon for us going into this next year? Just expectations about what can be accomplished Mm. without any work. So (laughs) I really see this. I see this a lot. And like I said, I think my job is, predominantly social media therapy, but organizations that want to raise a ton of money online and think that all they need to do it is a social media account and an email account. Mm. 
I think that one of the biggest hurdles for nonprofits is investing the time to build a community first that is primed to get that information from you. So when you ask them, then they're willing to give or they're willing to call their legislator or they're willing to sign up for your event. So this constant cycle of, well, we're promoting, but no one's listening and we're sending out emails, but no one's listening, but then you still keep sending out the same emails and the same promotions. Mm. So I understand it's a, it's a time. It's a problem of time. It's a problem of maybe skill. It's a problem of not being able to kind of see the forest for the trees because you're putting out fires every single day. But I, I really believe firmly that the only way to succeed in digital fundraising and digital marketing is to spend 60% of your time building a community and giving them good information in terms of stories and resources. And then even, you know, 40% of the time you can be like selling your own agenda. But I, I just, I just see so many organizations thinking that still that social media and digital channels are this ATM machine that they can just sort of open up and access at any time. There's such a disservice to the, the art of marketing that comes with benchmarks. Yes. Uh, And I, I completely believe also that, you know, I don't think I, I mean, I probably was guilty of it in my early career, but there's so much information out there that will lead them to believe it. There's so much snake right, oil out there right. around social media. Yeah. And, and you do, you really have to evaluate, even if you th- take benchmarks in general uh, as a medium that you can measure yourself against, you, <laughs> you lose the context yeah. when you're looking at stats on a screen or, or a PDF that you've printed off. And you balance that with, as you've said many times, a case of the wants. I want yes. to develop a monthly giving program because I see this organization who's yes. got a completely different community, a completely different channel mix, a completely mm-hmm. different investment model. I've seen them do this, so I want to do this. Yeah. And so that case of the wants can be heightened by benchmarks. And, you know, a lot of times what we'll talk about with nonprofits is, hey, let's evaluate your own personal benchmarks. What is your floor? and What is your ceiling? And how do we get uh, a, mm-hmm. a chance to break through your ceiling to set a new floor and a new ceiling, as opposed to looking out across the sector and evaluating things without context? Well, think about social media as we use it personally. So we know, and I am a huge fan. I still think social media can be used for social good. I don't think it's inherently evil. I think there's a lot of problems with it, but it's been linked to depression and loneliness. Mm -hmm. Psychology studies have been, have linked it to depression and loneliness because we see that Pinterest perfect, Instagram perfect family. We see that mom down the street making Christmas cookies and having a perfect kitchen. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know. So I think social media for nonprofits can be destructive in that way only because, to reiterate what you said, the comparisons that we continually make. Like this organization is doing this, and why can't we be doing this? But we don't know the inner workings. Like We don't 
know what's going on behind the scenes, how many resources they have. Maybe they have a really engaged board. Maybe they have brand ambassadors. Maybe they have seven people in their department. We just don't know. So yeah, it's a, that is a big hurdle. And it, mm-hmm. it really calls for both of those hurdles, the unwillingness to invest in, and a case of the wants, call for us to work smarter. Yes. To be better critical thinkers. And sometimes critically thinking has to happen quick. Right. Not over a long period of time. I really think another hurdle is just the starvation cycle that we live in where marketers and fundraisers are not given the resources to succeed. So not even underinvestment and not understanding technology and infrastructure, but a lot of development directors I work with I tell them this right off the bat. I say, I think you're kind of being set up to fail with not on purpose, but you're expected to raise $100,000 via Giving Tuesday and you've never sent out an email campaign before. Mm-hmm. So that's not, it's not your fault, but I just don't see that working because all these different things have to be in place. So this view of the sector where we don't want to invest in overhead, we don't want to spend money on marketing and fundraising, and that's not necessarily our fault. That is the way we're perceived in the mass media. That's the way news coverage is going. Right. That's the way the general public, the distrust that's being sowed around the sector. So there's all these kind of root causes that I think are affecting our ability to really do our work effectively. I'm pretty optimistic about 2019 though. I think there's a lot of creativity and innovation going on out there, but I do think we need to start advocating for the importance of our work. It's like, if we don't do marketing and fundraising, this program is not going to happen. You know, we're not going to be able to serve these kids. We're not going to be able to save these animals. We're not going to be able to preserve this historic site. We're not going to be able to save the environment if we don't advocate for funds or at least training or professional development for marketing and fundraising, none of this world saving amazing work is going to be able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're, you're spot on there, Joy. I mean, there's opportunities for us, even with these hurdles yep. uh, to be more creative, think better, think yes. more critically, uh, be more human, as you yes. said. And those are, and I know that those sound uh, either, you know, pie in the sky or somewhat just altruistically driven, but they are major opportunities for our mm-hmm. sector to stand up and be better stewards of our sector to yes. continue to advance our work going into the next year. And, and there's a lot of really good stuff on the horizon for the sector to do exactly that. Um, exactly. Hey, Joey, as, just as we you know, kind of wrap up, how can people connect with you? Uh, where can they find you online? And where can they find uh, more information about the, the book that we mentioned earlier? You can just go to my website, jcsocialmarketing.com. There's information about the book. I have a blog that I try to write every single week. I do Facebook Lives and all sorts of other video trainings. And I'm also on Twitter probably more often than I would like. (laughs) I'm addicted to Twitter. I love Twitter. And I'm at Julia C. Social. 
Very cool. Well, Julia, thanks for chatting, spending some time today. And uh, we'll have to just, we'll have to catch up a a season down the road to see how our predictions, uh, how they've turned out. Right. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Justin. All right. Take care. So that's the, uh, the chat with Julia. Uh, and a wonderful chat. What I appreciate so much about Julia is the perspective on storytelling. Even her way of describing one of the trends that we should anticipate going into this next calendar year, and that's being more human. So whether or not that's the use of Insta stories or whatever channel it is, the channels don't matter. The idea of being more human, being more authentic, focusing on authenticity and relevancy. We've heard that throughout season one from multiple influencers. And if you haven't listened to the other episodes of Group Thinkers season one, go ahead and and check them out as well so that you can see how these different curators of nonprofit marketing think about relevance and authenticity. Uh, Mentioned it before we talked with Julia, but just want to remind you to throw us a a subscription as well as a follow on Twitter and uh, enjoy other episodes of Group Thinkers, but then head over to Twitter and chat with us there. We're at Group Thinkers. So that's the, uh, the episode with Julia Campbell. We'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, check out rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to Becky V and the team for all the production work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.